Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another installment of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Caffrey, and I'm here to introduce a very special episode. As you know, we usually cover the works of Stephen King through in-depth conversation, but today we'll be sharing an original story I wrote that's tied to King's fictional universe, specifically the upcoming film adaptation of his short story, The Boogeyman, in theaters June 2nd. Directed by Rob Savage and starring Sophie Thatcher, Vivian Lyra Blair, Chris Messina, and David Desmalchian. Tickets are available now. Created in partnership with 20th Century Studios, our tale follows an ER doctor whose encounter with the titular monster reveals a troubling side of her personality. It features performances by my co-host, Ashley Cassidy, along with her partner over at the Keep It Weird podcast, Lauren Ogle, and Guinevere Govea. Editing, sound design, and original music were created by the great Mae Schultz. And additionally, three of our fellow podcasts on the Bloody FM network have released their own original Boogeyman stories, so be sure to check those out as well. But for now, sit back, relax, shut off the lights, and enter the world of the Boogeyman. A kid dying on the table and all I can think about is bubble tape. Do you remember bubble tape? Six feet of chalky pink bubble gum all rolled up inside a plastic container. And you'd pull and pull and pull until there was none left. Well, that's what this kid's tongue looks like. He's dressed in gray long johns, even though it's not cold outside. It makes him look old, but he can't be more than seven. Far too young for the bubble tape years. And yet, here he is. Reminding me of my childhood. He was alive when they brought him in. Tongue pulled down to his sternum and still alive, still talking. I can't understand him. But I know exactly what he's saying. The old cliché about ER doctors is true. (laughs) You grow detached. That's not the same as complacent. I'm better when I'm detached, when I can disconnect. Only then can I see everything clearly. The room whites out. My patient transforms into a diagram from a medical textbook. If that sounds cold, remember, textbooks have answers. Muscles become bloodless, connective tissue, literal connective tissue, becomes more angular and transparent, less obscured. The bones get brighter, I get calmer, the patient gets healthy. They get out alive. Don't believe me? 
I guess there's no way to prove it to you, but I was at that hospital for three years, eight months, and nine days before anyone died on me. Until then, I hadn't lost a single patient. Not one. Congrats. Thanks. How'd you know? About... My patient's mortality rate? Or lack thereof? Um, I set a new record today. Three years, eight months, and... I was saying congrats to us. Our anniversary? Oh. Oh. Yeah. Shit. It's fine. You're busy. No, it's... This is not okay. It's a stressful job. Well, I'm, I'm, you're not wrong. Um, the brain gets cloudy, all that sickness, day in, day out. You forget what's important, and... Well, here's some more sick shit for you. Open it. <sighs> you shouldn't have. It's our anniversary, Jade. This is what couples do on anniversaries. The good ones, anyway. So open it. Oh, wow. Babe, wow. I know how you love your textbooks. Medieval medicine of Western Europe? Do you know how rare this is? Had to buy it from some creep on A books. It's mostly just weird drawings. Diseases before we knew there were diseases. Physicians saw them as monsters, biblical plagues. Punishments for our sins. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I don't have anything for you. Obviously. I'm so sorry, Lorna. It's fine. Really. Here. You can wear my stethoscope. Oh, how sweet. Now I can be an overworked physician, too. I'm kidding. Ha. Ha. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. remember any of the kids' names. Just that they died on my watch. The first one got wheeled in the night after we celebrated. I assumed she was already dead because of how her neck... It just looked so rubbery. And it had this off yellow color, the same shade you'd find on a knob of chicken bone. She was two years old, still in trapdoor pajamas with little pads on the feet. I put my stethoscope to her chest, her ribs no stronger than a bird's. To my surprise, a heartbeat. Three quick palpitations, in rhythm. Boogeyman. What was that? Boogeyman. Oh my god. Boogeyman! She's alive! Not palpitations, but a whisper beaten into a scream. And I'll admit it, the fact that she was still breathing worried me, because the shape she was in... The way her neck was twisted meant she wouldn't be alive for long. 
There was no bringing her back from whatever this was. I calmed myself, got into textbook mode, imagined her tiny body as a cleanly drawn anatomy chart that would show me where the injury was. But it was useless. Her eyes dilated and dilated and dilated until the pupils completely overtook the irises and cornea. An oil spill in miniature. Boogeyman. Her last word. Boogeyman. Two words, technically. Boogeyman. But said as one. Boogeyman. Then she was gone. I had to tell her parents, of course, my first time having to endure such a task. They were young, wearing nightgowns that could have been workout clothes. It went about as you'd expect. The slow motion drop to the knees, the scream to the heavens wail. There's a reason they do it in the movies, folks. The father crumpled all the way to the triage floor, arms and legs splayed out in front of him like a rag doll on a shelf, eyes peering up at me through wet curtains of hair, and for a fleeting moment, I had to wonder, what is it like to care about someone that much? Isn't it just part of the job? Not the way I do it. You're an ER doctor. It had to happen sooner or later. But it didn't. That's what you're not getting. The the way I conduct myself, the way I see the world and the human body, I'm not supposed to lose anyone. We all lose someone. Someday. My record for saving lives is... Still very impressive. Why don't you come to bed? I think I'll read for a while. New Emma Straub? Your anniversary present, actually. Ooh, cheery. Can I see? Sure. (laughs) That's freaky. Oh, and I like that font. Ooh, what's that thing? Uh, doesn't have a proper name. Most of these things don't. Looks like a... What? I don't know. A shadow lemur. This isn't Pokemon. I'm just saying what it looks like. That name makes it less scary. No, for real. A primate formed in the darkness. By the time you can even tell what you're looking at, it's over. Your light and life sucked right out of you. You're not far off. It's like I said, they blamed illnesses on supernatural figures, monstrous beings. So, in this case, nyctophobia. What's that? Fear of the dark. Is that an illness? Mm, Not exactly, but it can lead to illness. Anxiety, depression. Death? Maybe. Who knows? You're a good doctor. Okay? Okay? Of course, I told her. I know that. It's all part of the job. Blah, blah, blah. But I didn't believe a word. If I had, I wouldn't have stayed up as late as I did, thumbing endlessly through this archaic and surprisingly religious medical book. I only stopped when I noticed that the door to our coat closet was wide open. Had that been me or her? 
And what were those two dots of light? They would flash for a second and snuff out every time I looked up? Probably nothing. The buttons of a peacoat. would be six months before the next one. A boy, this time, four years old, wearing nothing but ratty underwear that was getting yellow around the edges like the pages in my book. Foxing, I believe it's called. I knew he was still alive when they wheeled him in because he was thrashing around on the gurney, spewing what I believed to be nonsense. Claws. Someone remove his glasses. Claws, claws, claws. He reached up and pulled me close, yanking me down to his level with the strength of a grown man. Hissed into my ear some ungodly blend of nonsense poetry and words far too advanced for a child of his age. Cross and cross and log and shots to the throat. My Adam's apple squeezed into the mode of a red slosh. My head from the cross, 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 and the cross, across, across. At the end, you meet when you meet the man crouched in the dark with a mouthful of hands. The dark, the dark. He's only in the dark. His daddy's songs and mommy's cries with cross and fangs and those silver dollar eyes. The boogeyman, boogeyman. Oh, that's the boogeyman. And then he stopped. No slowing of the speech, no losing of consciousness. His body just turned off. His hair, in life a deep shade of coffee, had gone the color and consistency of old straw as if something had started sucking the color out of his roots but wasn't able to complete the job. The official cause of death was a grand mal seizure. This checked out, medically speaking. After all, he was an epileptic. But he had said that word. The same one as the other kid. Boogeyman. The parents were older than the last ones. Farmers, I think. Sturdy flannel, salt and pepper hair huddled together like they'd just reached the dust bowl. (laughs) No crying this time. They were wobbly, punch-drunk, vacant. And that was somehow worse. No one's conspiring against you. But what if it's some kind of external force? Or at least a belief in an external force that's passing from person to person until- Babe. You think I'm crazy? I think you need sleep. Okay, you don't think it's strange that two different children both said the exact same word to me before they died? The whole concept of the boogeyman, it's an archetype. Something kids say when they can't articulate what they're afraid of. They could have been talking about anything. They could have just been scared. Or maybe they were trying to tell me something. For the sake of our relationship... Will you get some fucking sleep? I tried. I really did. But I've always been a horrible sleeper. My eyelids permanently held open by invisible fish hooks. That night, it felt like they were each attached to a crane on a construction site. And after the third kid died, I wasn't sure if I'd ever sleep again.
there's a misconception that the human tongue goes much longer and deeper than what we see, that it keeps extending all the way down into your throat as part of one long, eel-like piece of flesh. But that's only a half-truth. In reality, if we're moving further into the mouth, the tongue ends around the same spot as the soft palate, after which it connects to a group of extrinsic muscles that start in the throat and stretch into the trachea all the way down to the thyroid gland. When viewed from the side on a medical chart, they do appear to be a part of the tongue, but they're really not. If anything, they're an anchor for the tongue. Then again, none of that matters when it all gets ripped out. Innards are innards, muscle is muscle. So when I say the final kid had their tongue pulled all the way down to their sternum, I don't really mean it. I mean that their tongue was yanked with such force that it prolapsed a group of four extrinsic muscles whose origins are... Well, you get the idea. What's most striking about this grisly act is that it also required a sense of finesse, delicacy even. Despite the horrific nature of the injury, there was very little blood. Everything just unspooled rather cleanly. Like I said, bubble tape. On the drive home, I kept wondering how would one even go about inflicting such a wound? I mean, you'd almost need two sets of hands, a set of flexible human digits assisted by something more cutting and forceful, like claws. Craws. Craws. I walked into the house, was greeted by candlelight, a maroon bottle of wine, and a very disappointed face. Happy anniversary. It had been a year, and I had forgotten. Again. I... I'm... Stressed out? Sure. Because someone else died, right? And losing three patients in one year must be incredibly taxing on an ER doctor. I know it might not seem like much, but... So out of the ordinary. You joke? But given my previous success rate, three patients, three children, mind you, really is a matter of concern. To the point that... You know, I might actually have some sympathy for you if you cared. About me, about those dead kids, about anything. But you don't. It's just about your batting average. If I seem... Distant, it's only because, as a doctor, you can sometimes grow... Cold? Detached? Exactly. You've always been that way. You didn't get like that because you're a doctor. It's what made you become one in the first place. It's all just morbid curiosity for you. I've saved lives. To puff up your ego. Countless lives. Lives you don't even see as people. You can't even look at me as anything but a warm body. How could you do it for strangers? I waited for her to start screaming and say a final goodbye. But she just walked out. Didn't even slam the door. I blew out the candles and sat in the darkness. I figured it was only a matter of time before I started hearing their voices. It's a common phenomenon among nurses, physicians, police officers, anyone with a profession that involves being responsible for human life. But I didn't think I'd hear them in the coat closet. Help us, please. He has us. The boogeyman has us. Boogeyman. Cross. 
Help. How? Open the door. The closet. Cross it. His realm. He needs the dark to survive. Open it. That's all you have to do. Free us. I coiled my hand around the doorknob's faded brass and pulled. I mean, why wouldn't I? I knew none of it was real. That the eyes in the dark, the voices, all of it, that it was all an unfortunate and, let's face it, very predictable byproduct of workplace stress. I would open the door, it would all go silent the way it does in the first act of any horror movie, and I would go on with my night. Perhaps start thinking about how to repair my love life. So you can imagine my surprise when something leapt from the darkness and tackled me. I kept telling myself this was merely a trick of the shadows, a a careless pratfall over the couch, but there was a weight on top of me, physical weight. Like Lorna said, we often think of the boogeyman as a spectral archetype or, or an intangible presence, but this was biological, flesh and blood, a wild animal. I was nowhere near a light switch, so I reached back an arm, fumbled around on the coffee table for something, anything I could use as a weapon. My nails brushed the comfort of cheap plastic. I grabbed it, a trigger, a click. The lighter! Lorna hated matches, especially for candles. A tiny diamond of flame softened the dark in front of me. Then I saw it. Just for a split second, but it was enough. A wizened face, skin like wet tree bark, two silver eyes, its mouth full of fingers. I I don't mean they were severed and being eaten. I mean that its mouth was fingers. Two human hands spidering towards me from its maw, making it more and more unclear if the thumbs and rings and indexes were connected to its throat or belonged to someone trying to scrape their way out of the inside. I thought I could hear the children's voices behind the cracks between the knuckles, but I can't be sure. Maybe they were trapped in there. The thing breathed, put its claws, its craws around my throat and the flame blew out. And I could feel a kind of tractor beam radiating from its body. I didn't need to see, and I, I really couldn't see to know what was happening. The beast was trying to siphon my soul, my essence, whatever you prefer to call it, to make my entire internal life his. To stretch my tongue into bubblegum, dry my hair into straw, melt my brain into preschool gibberish, because what am I without my mind? The boogeyman sucked and sucked and sucked. I could feel these little... I'm still not sure what they were. Almost like blades of grass slowly sprouting up from under my skin. But every time each one was exposed to the air, it dissipated. The boogeyman paused. Sucked again. Same result. And then he stopped, frustrated, because he knew, he knew that I was no source of nourishment, that I was an insufficient meal, that my lover was right, that there was nothing there. Another menacing breath, a sigh. I mean, does his kind know the sting of resignation? The creature released me and galloped away. When I turned on the light, I expected there to be a bigger mess than there was, but 
Except for the lighter, everything was still in its place. The candle hadn't tipped, the wine hadn't spilled, the only thing even slightly amiss was the skewed angle of the coffee table. And an open closet door. You might think that the encounter made me feel inferior, like a shell of a person, but it didn't. As I drove to the hospital the next morning, alive, and ignoring all of Lorna's calls, I felt reinvigorated. I suppose that for some, emptiness can mutate into depression, loneliness, perhaps even sociopathy, but for me, it's a superpower. The automatic doors slid open, the nurses looked up, and there was only one thing to say. Let's get to work. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can get your tickets now for 20th Century Studios' The Boogeyman in theaters June 2nd. And to keep that Boogeyman hype up, be sure to check out the other versions of The Boogeyman on the network's other shows, Creepy, Scare You to Sleep, and Mayfair Watcher Society. Just keep your eye on Bloody FM's social media for those announcements. Until next time, long days and pleasant nights. This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>